What would you do if you had a treasure, but you didn't know it? Say, well, I'd do exactly what I'm doing now because I didn't know I had it. You know, I heard a story recently of a man who purchased a big box of baseball cards and, and trade, you know, sports cards from a Goodwill. He spent like eight bucks on it. And inside he found cards worth like $50,000. Now it makes me want to go and look for cards. But what, what gets me even more is not the find, but it was the sell. Who didn't know what they had? And just thought, well, I'm just going to get rid of these. You know, somebody, somewhere, was sitting on a fortune and had no idea. And then they either gave it away or sold it for very cheap, not knowing what they had. And in many ways, I think a lot of modern Christians do this very thing. We don't know the treasures that we really have in Christ. And the reason for that, it's not that we're failing and it's not that we need to try harder or anything like that. It's that the treasures of Christ, the treasures of faith are so different from the treasures of the world that sometimes we just don't know what to look for. And we don't know what we have because we're busy comparing it and looking for the treasures of the world. We're looking for the treasures that our flesh and our sinful nature would enjoy, not realizing the treasures that we have that go far beyond anything this world could offer. And so we're starting a, a new sermon series as we're going to go through the book of 2 Corinthians, and of course entitled, The Treasures of Faith. Because in this book, Paul just kind of lays out, like, we don't know what we have. And so he just keeps explaining it to the Corinthians of here is where our hope is. Here's who God is. Here's who we are within this. Here's how we should think and, and what we should do. And it's not a, a harsh letter. It's not a letter that, that you know, is, is just filled with heavy, heavy doctrine, though there is a lot in there that you know, he's trying to teach some of the harder things. He's really trying to help them see the treasure that they have in Christ. Because the city of Corinth in the Roman Empire it is, it was a very, very dark city, okay? Spiritually, it was a very dark place. Uh, there, there were all kinds of pagan temples. It was a, an economic hub for its area. Uh, there were all kinds of pagan influences everywhere. And so as the church started, in this city, it faced incredible challenges. And I mean that, it, it faced challenges. So in many ways, we could look at Corinth as akin to a lot of the world that we see today. Influences everywhere. And so they had to overcome these influences. They had to grow through them. They had to, you know, kind of make the, the break from their cultural understanding of the world that was natural to adopting a, a Christian understanding of the world and what the truth is. And that's a hard journey sometimes. That's not easy to do because, you know, let's just face it. How, how many in here have you ever, you know, you grew up thinking one thing and as you got older, you realized that way of thinking was wrong. 
and yet it seemed completely natural for so long. You know, your family thought that way. Your culture thought that way. It just seemed like this is normal life. And then you start to learn, no, it really is out of line with what God wants and who God is. And it's a hard transition to make. And, you know, as a bit of a side note, if you ever feel discouraged in your struggles to, to grab on to the truth of the Christian faith and, and, and to see that transformation in your life that, that we all want, understand the Corinthians truly struggled in that regard. You're not alone. And I mean, if you really want to look at how they struggled, look in the, just read the book of 1 Corinthians and take note of all the things that Paul had to actually tell them not to do. This is a church, these are Christians, these are people that are born again. And he had to actually tell them things like, hey, don't get drunk during the Lord's Supper. That's bad. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> don't visit the, the temple prostitutes, that's bad. Don't do that. <laughs> and Paul just, it, it is, it's like over and over in 1 Corinthians, he's like, okay, we're, we're okay, but don't do that. <laughs> That's bad. And so if you ever feel down about your struggles, go read 1 Corinthians and understand God's grace still had them. God held on to them, and, and they were not disowned, and God wasn't like, that's it, I'm done with you. That never happened. Paul was very patient with them. He was very stern at times, but he was very patient with them, and he just carried them through and, and taught them. And so you get to 2 Corinthians, and they've responded to a whole lot of his teachings. And they've responded positively. And so he's wanting to build them up now. It's kind of 1 Corinthians was like the harsh letter in which he had to lay it out there. And it's like, look, you cannot do these things. This is wrong. You need to take action. You need to do this. 2 Corinthians is like, hey, you did a good job. Now let's, let's take a breath. <laughs> let's breathe. And I want you to see all that we have in Christ. And so we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1 and go through verse 7. And it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. And so today, Paul kind of starts this whole letter talking about what? Suffering and comfort. Okay, comfort and suffering. And he kind of just keeps going back and forth. Doesn't it? It's like you're listening to a tennis match. You know, it's like you're reading. He just kind of keeps going back and forth, talking about his suffering, their suffering, his comfort, their comfort. But in doing this, Paul lays a foundation for this entire book. Okay, he's wanting us to kind of interpret everything that he's going to talk about through this. The fact that God is present with us in all 
things. And he's not just present. He is the God of comfort. Okay, and in fact, he names God in this. He, he gives him a title that is that is so important. He says he is the father of mercies and God of all comfort. The father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You see, in his naming God, the apostle tells the Corinthians who God is. You you realize throughout Scripture, a person's name typically says a lot about them, especially in the Old Testament. But we have the names of God, remember? You, You can go through the Old Testament and you have God Almighty. You have God the Comforter. You have God the Provider. You have, you know, God who is my peace. I mean, you have all of these different names for God throughout Scripture and that's what he's doing is he's telling you, here's how we relate to him. Here's how he relates to you. He is your provider. He is your comforter. And in fact, Jesus promised what? He said, when I go, I will send what? The Holy Spirit, the comforter to be with you. There is a key, key element about comfort here that, that he is talking about because How we view God will determine how we relate to him. And I want you to think about this, okay? If we think of God as harsh and angry, then what are we going to spend our time doing? Trying to please and placate God. God, don't be angry with me. I'll try harder. I'll do more. And it it wears a person out. If we see God as distant and detached then we'll spend our time trying to get his attention to earn his affection god look at all that i did will you bless me now are you are do you love me now god we will spend our time doing that and so right out of the gate paul tells everybody he is the father of mercy and the god of comfort now how does that make you feel See, sometimes in these letters, we just kind of read over stuff and we read through it really fast and we don't stop and think, wait a minute, he just, he just gave God a title. The Father of Mercies. Now, for a lot of people in this world, maybe the word father doesn't carry a good connotation. Maybe you grew up in a household where dad wasn't all that he should have been or, or you know, wasn't even close. Well, this God, this father, Our Father in heaven, what does he say? He's the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You know what that means? That means he is intimately involved. He is there in the midst of all struggle, all pain, all affliction. He is present. He's not ignoring you. And so, he tells us in... in, that he is there for all of our affliction. Now, this word affliction in the Greek is the word philipsis, and it means tribulation. Tribulation. Did you know that the word tribulation is used with the exception of one time in the New Testament? It always refers to affliction of believers. A lot of people believe that tribulation is this time when, when Christians will be gone, and it's what the world goes through. The scripture kind of disagrees with that. With the exception of one time, the word tribulation applies to the pressures and the trouble and, and, and the struggle that Christians will go through in this world. And it says that what? He comforts us in our tribulation. 
that God is aware. The word tribulation means pressure, distress, or affliction. And what the scripture tells us is that he comforts us in our affliction. It is not a removal of, but comfort within the troubles of life. Now, that might be news to some people. Because there is a modern view of faith that has taught erroneously and dangerously and very destructively that if you have enough faith, what happens? Nothing bad. If I just have enough faith, then God will bless me and I won't have struggles. And so then we feel like failures when we have struggles, right? Then we think, well, what am I doing wrong? What's going on? Why is this happening, God? Do I not have enough faith? And, and we'll even have people say that. Well, you just don't have enough faith. You don't, you, you don't believe enough. You need, you need to claim it as your own. How many have heard that before? You just need to claim it. And then we want to claim it and it doesn't happen and we think something's wrong with us. Look, that is not the view that Paul is presenting right here. He says he comforts us in all of our afflictions, which means our faith is not about the removal of afflictions, but about the strength to get through the afflictions. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a world different. I mean, that is a world changing truth when we grab hold of that and we look at it and say, "Okay, God's not going to take it all away, but he's going to be with me through it. Now, that is much more in line with the God we see in Scripture, right? Daniel. Where do we know about Daniel? In the lion's den? Not avoiding the lion's den, but in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Where do we know about them? In the fire. Not missing out on the fire, but in the fire. And yet, who was with him in the fire? Jesus, the Son of Man, God. Protecting them, helping them through the affliction, through the trouble. And so he calls him the father of mercy and the God of all comfort. Mercy, in the biblical sense, mercy is more than simply not executing judgment. A lot of times we think of mercy as, you know, show me mercy, which means don't drop the hammer, right? Don't drop the hammer on me. Give me some leniency. Mercy is a much deeper concept in Scripture. It is a deep awareness of and sympathy for another's suffering. Think of that. A deep awareness of and sympathy for another's suffering. God is acutely aware of all of the pain in your life. And he sympathizes. He knows that it hurts. He knows where you struggle. And he provides grace for it. And in fact, at the core then, that's what he wants from us. In Luke 6.36, Jesus said, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. What's he saying? He's saying, Be concerned for one another the same way God is concerned for you. Now that kind of sounds familiar, right? Love your neighbors, you love yourself. Be concerned. Be merciful. Have that awareness that, look, everybody struggles. Now, that doesn't mean that we ever are excusing sin or saying that it's okay, but we, we understand and make grace for the struggle that is there in life. Have you ever been around somebody who hates weakness? 
it, it's kind of unsettling at times. I've been around people that they do. I mean, they just hate weakness in other people, in themselves, and it's, they, they just kind of condemn people and they make them feel bad because they're human beings. And yet, what did we see from Jesus? In Jesus' time on earth, it said He would see the people and He had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. He understood their weaknesses. He sympathized with it and He said they need help. And He was acutely aware of their struggles. And he ministered to them at the point of struggle. And so he, he is the father of mercies. And then it says the God of all comfort, which we could kind of think of mercy as the disposition and comfort as the action that arises from mercy. Okay, comfort is to console, to exhort or to encourage. The Old Testament is full of examples of God comforting his people in the midst of their tribulation. Now, the metaphors abound describing God's comforting his people. But one of the most common throughout the Old Testament is that of shepherd. Shepherd. What did the shepherd do? He, he cared for the sheep in the midst of their struggle. He took care of them where they could not take care of themselves. He protected them. He rescued them if necessary. In fact, David puts it this way. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, what were the rod and the staff in that circumstance? It was correction, protection, and rescue in the most dire circumstances in which the sheep would face. The rod and the staff could both be used to fend off wolves that might attack the sheep. Okay? Many times sheep with their wool would get caught in thickets. And they'd get in there and they could get caught so much that they would just stay there until they died because they couldn't get free. And it would be so thick that the shepherd himself couldn't go in and pull them out himself. So you know what he used? His big shepherd's crook. He'd reach in, he'd hook them, and he'd pull them back out again. That's rescue. He would rescue them from themselves. Who would get them in that situation? The sheep would put themselves in that situation. Did he punish the sheep for it? No. What did he do? He was ready. He knew they're going to struggle they're sheep. They're going to do these things. I'm there to rescue them. That's my job as the shepherd to rescue them. And then there were times that the sheep would backbite one another. You ever heard of that? Literally, the sheep would come up and they'd just start biting each other and, and being mean. And he would take the rod and he'd whack them on the head with it and say, stop. And he would keep the peace among the sheep by doing that. Now, was that, you know, mean and cruel? No, it was to keep the sheep from hurting each other. So when David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, he's saying, I understand, God, that everything you're doing is for my good. And it's for the good of your sheep and that you are wise and you know what you are doing. You have everything under control. And so Paul uses that phrase, father of mercies and God of all comfort, so that we will respond to him properly. So that we'll know who he is and how he is relating to us. And then he tells us something very, very interesting in, in this. In verse 5, he says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, 
so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. Do you think of your faith as sharing in the sufferings of Jesus? I know we always talk about it. You know, Jesus died for us. He died on the cross. We just celebrated Easter and and Good Friday that he died on the cross for us in our place so we didn't have to. And so we can kind of think, well, that's over. And that part is. That is over and done and Jesus did it for us. And without that, we have nothing. But Paul uses this interesting phrase and says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Do you see your sufferings and struggles in life as being related intimately to your life in Christ? Or do you see them as something to simply be gotten away, you know, get rid of them so I can get busy serving God? There's a huge difference there. If we spend our lives thinking, okay, first I have to get rid of all of my weakness and I have to get rid of all of my failings and I have to get rid of everything that I struggle with so that I can now properly serve God and do everything he wants me to do, we're going to be chasing a phantom our entire life. Because the struggles, while we can grow in Christ, and yes, the struggle with sin can change, we are going to have these struggles our entire lives. Amen? It's not going to just go away. And that is not God's plan to remove all struggle from your life so that you can now serve him. You know what he wants? He wants you to use those struggles to serve him. To grow in the midst of those struggles. You see, he, he starts talking about these struggles as kind of a sanctifying force in our lives that are meant to draw us closer to God. Now, that doesn't mean that we embrace it and we become you know, some kind of masochistic nightmare on our lives where we're saying, I enjoy pain. He's saying it's supposed to make us acutely aware of our need for God and to drive us to Him. But if we spend all our time thinking, well, so long as I still struggle, I can't be right with God, we're going to miss the very treasure of comfort that God has for us in the midst of that suffering, in the middle of that affliction. And so you've heard the phrase before, experience is the best teacher, right? Who's heard that? Experience is the best teacher. You know, sometimes experience is the only teacher, right? Sometimes simply going through something is the only way you learn about it. There's no substitute for it. And the example I give for that is riding a bike. Anybody in here ever learned to ride a bike by reading a book? You can understand the physics of it. You can understand the dynamics. You can understand the bicycle. You can understand human balance. You can understand all of the theoretical and the physics and the dynamics of riding a bike, but you don't know how to ride a bike until what? Till you've gotten on the bike and you've crashed enough times that your body's like, you know what, I'm going to learn to balance. You don't know a thing about it until then. There is so much of the Christian life that is exactly the same way that he says, I want you to share in the sufferings of Christ. Not because God wants suffering just for suffering's sake, but there are things that we can only learn. Good things, life-giving things, and this is what's hard, by dying to ourselves. 
And I don't know about you, but most of us do not wake up in the morning. It's like, today I think I will die to something that I hold dear. And I'm, I'm just going to give it up right now. God kind of has to pry our hands off of it, doesn't he? He's like, let go. And so many times, most of the time, sometimes all the time, pain is the only way to get us to do that. It's the only way. And yet we learn and we grow through it because faith that goes unchallenged does not grow. You see, Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I acted like a child, I reasoned like a child, I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things away. Think of this in terms of your faith. There is a childlike faith that, that always has to be there. Jesus said you have to you know, become as these little children. But there are those things in the Christian life that God expects us to grow into. And you read the book of Hebrews and he even says that. He says, you've come to need milk and not solid food, though by this time you should be teachers. There, there's this point where we should grow. But if we don't, it's because we have not engaged in the things God has asked us to engage in, which is going to be struggle. It's going to be hard. I mean, sometimes there's going to be pain involved that we're like, God, I don't want that. And he goes, I know you don't, but I got to make your roots grow. And you know how he makes the roots grow? Drought and darkness. See, I heard the story about a, uh, a greenhouse. And, and this man went in to buy some plants, and he, he looked, and he saw a big planter, but he saw upside down, the smaller planters, he saw them upside down on top of this large planter. And he thought, what's going on here? And he lifted up one of them, and underneath it was a little plant. And he thought, I don't know what's going on here. And he saw the dirt that it was, it was really dry. And this plant was underneath that. And he thought, well, it's going to die. So he goes, you know, he just thinks he knows what he's doing. So he just goes and finds some water. And he starts to try to water the plants. And finally, the man running the greenhouse comes over and says, stop. You're going to kill those plants. And now the man's really confused. Because he's like, I'm not the one putting them in the darkness in dry dirt. Last I heard, you had to water them and they needed sunlight. And the gardener finally explains to him and says, in a healthy plant, yes. But these plants sprung up too quickly and they did not develop their roots. And so I'm hiding the sun and this is a special planter I have them in where the water is deeper in the planter. And I'm forcing their roots to grow deep so that they'll survive. And if you water them, and you give them sunlight, they're going to bloom, and then they're going to die. Now, do you think your God loves you enough to do that to you? To say, I'm going to force your roots to grow. You're mine, and I'm not going to allow you to burn out. I'm not going to allow this to happen. So, yes, I'm going to hide the light from you for a while, and I'm not going to give you the water that you're used to getting because I'm going to force you to grab hold of the truth and let it be a comfort to your soul in the middle of an affliction. I'm going to tell you I love you, and I'm going to force you to grab hold of that truth and hold on to it when the rest of the world feels like I don't. See, God loves us enough to do that. 
And according to Paul, participating in Christ, being in Christ is what he uses all the time, is one that necessarily includes sharing and suffering of the Christian life. And he calls it the sufferings of Christ. Because there's a pattern that has given to us right here, and the pattern goes like this. Obedience, death, burial, resurrection, glorification. That is what sharing in the sufferings of Christ does. It always starts with us obeying God, which then that obedience requires us to die to ourselves in some way. Now, God knows what we can handle and what we can't. He's not going to, you know, just completely destroy us in one moment. He's always sanctifying us throughout our entire lives. And so that's why there are things that when we are young in Christ and we're immature, he kind of allows it until a certain point when he says, okay, now it's time to grow. And, and I know I, I spoke to you and I, I gave you this, this, you know, this presence and I made you feel good and, and worship and, and I carried you along, but now it's time for your roots to grow, so it's going to be harder. I'm not going to speak to you as clearly as I did before. Not because I don't want to talk to you, but because I want to teach you to get into my word and feed yourself. Now, I know, how many in here have experienced that? You know, at some point in your life, God just spoke. I mean, it was clear. I mean, you felt on top of the world. It was like, wow, God is so good. And it's normally right after you get saved. But then some time goes by, and suddenly worship isn't as, as powerful as it was before. And you pray, and it's like you get this silence from God. And you're like, God, why aren't you talking to me anymore? And you know what, God, he finally, you know, we, we struggle with it. And finally he says, because I already said it, get into my word. You need to grow some roots. And that is sharing in the suffering of Christ. And look, Jesus went through the same process. In Hebrews 5, 7 through 9, it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. Now listen to this. With loud cries and tears. Now, if you described some event in your life and used the phrase with loud cries and tears, what would you be describing? Affliction? Suffering? Difficulty? I mean, you would be putting out there like, this was bad. I was like crying. You know, you ever hear that? You know, I, I was crying, and I mean like nasty crying, snot crying. You know, it was bad. You know, when you just lose it, look, he's... The, 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 the author of Hebrews here is saying, with loud cries and tears, Jesus himself had to struggle through these. Now, he did it without sin. But he still had to lay down his own will and follow the Father despite the pain. And he left the pattern for us. And it says, to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son... He learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. See, we don't ever think of Jesus having to learn obedience, but he was fully human. Now, he learned it without sin. So I'm not saying he was lacking anything, so don't send me any hate mail. Jesus was fully human. He was fully God. He was fully without sin. He was the perfect sacrifice. But again, as I said, sometimes experience is the only teacher Jesus had to go through these things to be made perfect. 
so that he could represent us. And it says, even though he was a son, he had to learn obedience through the things he suffered. We have to follow that exact same pattern in our lives. And so part of the challenge today is for you to start looking at your life in maybe a new way in which you look at the struggles that you're going through not as things to simply be overcome so that you can now, you know, serve God, but as a part of serving God. How would that change the way you look at your life if you saw, okay, God, you've called me into this struggle. How do I faithfully walk through it? Because I know you're with me. You are the father of mercies. You care about my situation. You care about my struggle. And you are the God of all comfort. So that means you're going to be present in the middle of it. You will be there. It doesn't mean it's not going to hurt. It just means you will bear me up through it. I'll make it. And you know what? If I don't make it, I get to be with you. So I think I win either way. And so... Paul then takes this to another place that is even more interesting. In verse 6, look with me in verse 6. It says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. You see, Paul wants them to see a truth that what they are suffering is directly for their benefit. What Paul is suffering is for the benefit of the Corinthians. So have you ever looked and thought the suffering that you are going through might be directly related to the spiritual growth of another? And in fact, it is. Paul, you see, this idea of we are suffering for others and we are comforted for others. It's not just about us. We are a part of the body of Christ, and what happens to one part of the body affects the rest. Now, who agrees with that? If you don't, go stub your toe and see how the rest of your body reacts. And I want you to think of that. What happens? The rest of your body takes over in that moment. You know, you you step on... You know, who, who had kids and you had those little wooden blocks or Legos designed by Satan to destroy your foot in the dark when you step on it? What happens? The instant that pain hits, what happens? Your other foot takes over, your whole body reacts and is like, whoa, let's, let's, let's help the situation here. There's, there's a lesson in that for all of us. And Paul absolutely sees us as so connected that he says, look, what, what I go through as the apostle, if I suffer, I promise it's for your salvation. God's going to move this in some way that it's going to benefit you. Now, would that change the way you see your own suffering if you're like, God's going to bring some good out of this? Now, it may not be good for me in the moment, but somewhere this is going to work out to where somebody's going to be saved, somebody's going to grow, God is going to show himself. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Paul does not isolate himself. Even in his suffering, he sees that he's a part of the body of Christ. And so, 
his understanding of suffering can leave us scratching our head in the 21st century. It really can, because we're so individualistic and we, we are so disconnected from each other in a world that's connected digitally, but not personally. We, we just really have a hard time with this. We don't get it. But Paul absolutely sees himself as connected to the other people. And in fact, in fact, he is so passionate about it that he believes that God will not waste one moment of his suffering, but will use it for his glory. And how do I know this? Listen to Romans 8, 28. How many know that verse? What does he say? He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, look, he, he just says right there, God's not going to waste any of it. The problem we have with this verse is we get very self-centered with it. And we think, God, I don't see how any good could come from this. Well, maybe God's saying it's not about you. The good that's going to come from this is so far down the road, you can't even see it. But I've worked it out. And that good is for this person over here, not for you. Did God fulfill his word? Absolutely. He says for good for all, for those who are called according to his purpose. So what if the good comes in the form of someone else being blessed because of your affliction? Isn't that exactly what happened with Jesus? We were all blessed because of his affliction. It wasn't about him, it was about us. And your suffering in your life may not be as much about you as you think it is. But will be about other people in ways that are amazing. And so with, with that in mind, I want you to listen to these, these three verses really quickly from, from Ephesians chapter 4. Okay, he's talking about Jesus and he says, From Jesus, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Builds itself. Now that's in the midst of suffering, that's in the midst of pain, that is God comforting and being concerned. And then he says what? You be merciful and you comfort one another as I have comforted you. And so we invest in each other and what happens? We build ourselves up as the body of Christ. That's where it comes from. Ephesians 4.25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You see, he's saying we'll hurt each other. Don't hurt each other. Speak truth. Be truthful with each other. Love one another because we are connected. It matters. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. You see, over and over, Paul keeps getting back to this idea of what happens in your life affects other people. And if we can learn to even see our own suffering as somehow, some way, benefiting somebody else, doesn't that make it easier to endure? Can't we look at God and say, God, you're, you're right. You are in this. And God says, look, I'm using it. I'm using it. You grow. And no, I'm not wasting it. I'm not going to waste your suffering. And I promise, guys, if you, if you miss nothing, you know, you don't hear anything else. God will not waste your suffering. 
Not one moment of it. God does not require his people to suffer any more than is absolutely necessary to accomplish his purposes. And you know how I know this is true? Because it was exactly the same with Jesus. As bad as the cross was, it could have been worse. But it wasn't necessary. You know how we know it wasn't worse? Because there was a prophecy that said not one of his bones will be broken. And guess what? Not one of his bones was broken. Why? Because it wasn't necessary for the sacrifice to happen. And so where the suffering could have been made worse, they could have broken bones and had everything that happened there. It didn't happen. Only what was necessary. And the same pattern. You share in the sufferings of Christ, which means whatever suffering comes in your life, God will use it for his good. The good of others, the good of the body. It's not useless, but it's also not something that we can just try to just get rid of. You know, we're allergic to suffering in our world today. It's something that has to go away. I'm not happy. I need to be happy. So I, since I'm not happy, you know what? Let's, let's get on medicine so I can be happy. I just need to be happy. And we're so caught by that that we lose the treasure of God's comfort and mercy that he gives us in the midst of life. And it's real. And so, two questions to close. Do you see yourself as intricately connected to the body of Christ? Do you see that what happens in your life matters and it's going to affect other people? And how are you sharing in the sufferings and comfort of Christ within the body? Are you bearing the burdens of somebody else that's going through suffering? Maybe you're strong. Maybe you've gone through something and and the more you share that with other people, you'll find out there are people going through exactly what you have and you can be a comfort to them. Not to remove the suffering because we can't do that. I can't make life better for you in those ways. But you know what? I can be with you in the midst of the trial. You can be there for other people in the midst of the trial and comfort them and love them and just simply be a strength for them in the middle of it. That's what it means to deal with comfort and suffering in the body of Christ. And that is what God is going to do. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Your word tells us that you are the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. God, we believe this. Lord, help us, teach us so that we don't miss your mercy and comfort in our lives, God. So that we can then comfort others with the comfort that we have received. God, we know that you intend for that comfort to be given away, that whatever we receive from you, God, we know we're to also give it away to others. And so God, just make us vessels of your grace, your comfort, your love, your mercy. That God, as we experience it, we also give it. And God, I pray wherever somebody is going through affliction right now, God, that you would speak to their hearts, knowing that you will comfort, that you will be there, that you are there. God, that you would be our strength. God, even when it's overwhelming, that you would be our strength. 
and our hope. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.